This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the Out of the Box Draft covers the best foreign-born athletes. The question in A covers NBA midseason tournaments and the growth of the MLS. This week in sports covers a college football update and picks for the NBA Conference Championships. to another special edition of the Dylan and Dylan show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Excited to get back into it on this Friday, May 20th edition of the show. DJ Dylan Jesperson here for possibly the last time in South Dakota, but uh, joined as always by my man, DH Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic. Um, I just want to say before we get into it later in the show, college football is the best. I love it so much. I know we both do, but I just want to say I love it. It's May 19th, 18th, 20th, whatever day it is, and college football is the best. I just wanted to say that before we get into our college football talk later in the show. Uh, I also want to send my condolences to the fans of the Memphis Grizzlies, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Phoenix Suns. You all had fantastic seasons, and it's all over, and that sucks, but it is what it is. Um, the, the NBA, it's crazy. Cause like this show at the end of May, I started, I was like, I got to talk about college football. Um, and the NBA playoffs are going strong. We're going to talk about that later. And I got to get some Murray state news in because Murray state picked up a huge commitment yesterday from Juco all American point guard, Brian Moore. And I think Brian Moore might be a freak of nature. Cause I saw, I looked him up on Instagram. He's like, he's committing on Instagram. You guys see this guy. He's good. And I saw a picture of him in high school. I'm like, oh, this dude's like tiny. And then you see like a picture of him after two years in Juco. I'm like, okay, I, I see the hype. This guy, he used his time in Juco and he he looks like a legit athlete, averaged 23 points per game. And I mean, there's scouts that are like, this could be the guy, the next uh, great point guard in Murray State. It's really, really exciting stuff. Um, and he said that's that's why he's coming to Murray. He wants to fall in the footsteps of campaign, John Moran, Isaiah Cannon, Jonathan Stark. That's really, really exciting to see even though Matt McMahon moving on to LSU, having that prestige at the university, it's getting a reputation. That's really, really neat to see. I'm just excited with all the things going on in my life and in the sports world. Doing pretty well. I'm excited for the next few weeks of the show. Uh, I don't want to get too into it, but I'll be sharing on social media very soon what's going on with me and my life uh, in these next couple of weeks. But I'm excited to get into the show today. Happy to be talking to my main man, DH, uh, and getting into a fun list of topics. Uh, We'll get right into it. First up, it's out of the box time. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm still in awe of what Luka Doncic was able to do against the Suns in Game 7 last week. If you didn't watch, 35 points, 10 rebounds, shot 12 of 19 from the floor, 6 of 11 from three-point range, and the Mavericks absolutely blitzed the defending champions, or not the defending Western Conference champions, I'm sorry, to reach the Western Conference finals. And it had me thinking about the best 
foreign born athletes out there and where Luca ranks among those guys. And once you start looking at it and you look at the pool of players available, I thought it was a great subject for this week's out of the box draft, the best non USA born athletes of all time. So with that being said, I've got a coin. Uh, I'm ready to flip it. Uh, I'm assuming heads Dylan. Of course. All right. I'm going to reflip that. That fell. I bet it was heads. Yeah, this is a heads. This is there a heads. we go. It was tail. If it was a heads, I would have just gone with it, but it was tails. And so I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to. Ball, uh, ball don't lie. Yeah. Uh, would you like the first pick or you want to go second and third? I'll take the first pick. Why not? All right. Go for it. All right. For my first pick, I'm going to go into the world of hockey. I've been big time on hockey here lately, going all the way back to, I don't know, Saturday, watching what the Edmonton Oilers did uh, in their big game seven on Saturday night. And I've just been on a big hockey kick. When I think of hockey, I think of Canada. And that is not America, uh, the United States of America. It is America, North uh, North America. But, yeah, going up to Canada, the Great White North, and I'm getting Wayne Gretzky. He's the greatest hockey player ever. And you know what that acronym, GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. That's Wayne Gretzky. If, like, I don't think I've ever heard a hockey fan be like, well, let me talk about this guy. He's the GOAT. No, it's Gretzky. They always say it's Gretzky. Like, basketball fans, like, they'll argue till they're blue in the face about LeBron and Jordan. I never hear any hockey fans be like, nope, it's not Gretzky. Gretzky's the guy for hockey and wasn't more in America. So, he's fitting all the boxes for me for a first pick. I'm like, this is just the guy. And anytime I hear Gretzky's stats and, like, all the things he accomplished, I'm like, yeah. This guy's unreal. There's, there's a reason that when you're growing up in West Kentucky and you've heard of one hockey player, it's Wayne Gretzky. It's because he's absolutely the greatest. If you, I feel like if you asked anyone like in my family or like the people that live around me, like name one hockey player, they're going to say Wayne Gretzky. That's just how it is. Uh, that's who the common folk know. And I, I think that goes a long way in my mind anyways, when I think of the impact that these athletes have. And I mean, he's the greatest hockey player of all time. And He's foreign-born, being from good old Canada. So I'll take Wayne Gretzky with my number one pick. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your first two picks. Yeah, definitely going to have to dip into my alternates there because Wayne Gretzky was uh, a top of my list. Uh, When you lead uh, in basically every category in your sport, goals, assists, and points, you got to make the list of top uh, foreign-born players. So obviously love that pick. With my first pick, uh, I'm going to the GOAT of the Olympics. If we're talking about foreign-born athletes, the Olympics dominates those types of athletes. And I'm talking the GOAT of the Olympics, and Usain Bolt uh, is going to be my first pick. Uh, the Jamaican-born man, and uh, we've talked about Usain in the past, especially in the Olympians draft, but if you somehow don't know res- his resume, eight Olympic gold medals, 11 world championships, world records still held today in the 100-meter and 200-meter dash, uh, and I'd still consider him the fastest man alive. I, I- I'm sure he could go back to the Olympics today and still compete with the best of them uh, at at whatever age he's at. I don't even know where he's at, but like he, he's 35 years old, 35 years old. I bet he would still be among the best athletes out there. He just doesn't have to run anymore because he's already accomplished everything you need to do. Uh, He never won anything other than gold at the Olympics. That's really all you have to know. He went to the Olympics. He gained, we won eight gold medals. That's really all you, you, you got to know. So Usain Bolt tops my list for sure. Uh, with number two, I'm going with the biggest sport among the foreign born players, the soccer players, the football players of Europe. Uh, and I'm going Lionel Messi. Messi's my guy. Uh, and usually when I do research for drafts like this, I, I have to hit up, the, hit up their Wikipedia page, uh, get some fast facts for them. Uh, 
Lionel Messi's career accomplishments have their own Wikipedia pages, not just like his career accomplishments, his overall goals, like all of that is separate spots because you can't fit them all on one Wikipedia page. That's how good Lionel Messi is. But uh, he's got three France Ballon d'Or championships, four FIFA Ballon d'Or championships, uh, one FIFA player player world player award and one FIFA the best award. I don't even know what those means, but he's got a ton of them. Uh, and he's got 81 goals across 160 international appearances. Uh, I mean, that's basically a, a goal every two games. That's nuts for any soccer player, but Lionel Messi, we're going to talk about him a little bit later too in the show, but I think he's my goat of soccer. Uh, and I, if you get, if you can get one of the goats, you got to get them on their list. So I'm going to take Usain Bolt. I'm going to take Lionel Messi. I'm throwing it to you for your next two picks. I like both those picks. I had both of them on my list, obviously. They're both amazing athletes. Um, but I didn't want either for my second pick, so I still get my pick too, which I'm very excited about. I'm going to the world of tennis. And let me tell you, if we would have done this draft a week ago, I would have not gone into the world of tennis. But this guy, he's been in my head. Last Saturday night, we played sports trivia at one of my friend's apartments. And it seemed like every other question was tennis for whatever reason. And every single time I would guess this guy's name and I would get it right. So I was like, you know what? When, when you pitched this idea, I was like, I got to pick him. And I'm picking the Serbian-born Novak Djokovic. And I, I knew Novak was awesome. I didn't realize how awesome he was until I was playing that trivia game where it's like, oh, yeah, he's just won everything. And then I looked up his accomplishments. He's won 87 singles titles. That's a lot. That's tied for the most with Roger Federer. To go along with that, he's won 20 Grand Slam titles. That's a lot. And then he got five finals titles, a record 38 Masters titles. He's won, uh, He's the only player, only tennis player, to win all nine of the Masters tournaments, and he's done it twice. I mean, his greatness is just, it's immeasurable. He's so good, and it's crazy because, like, when I think of him, it goes back to that tennis, the match he had forever ago that lasted, like, three days on ESPN. It's like anytime you turn on ESPN, they're like, yeah, Djokovic is still playing. He, he's he's still playing. They're like, this game's been going on for ever and it's Djokovic is still in it and that's that's what I think of when I think of Novak Djokovic but obviously he's much more he's so good he he's in that goat conversation for tennis which is so so neat and I'm very happy to get him get two goats and uh with my first two picks I'm pretty happy with that for my third pick this one I'm more up in the arms about I I don't quite know where I want to go so I'm gonna panic pick and I'm gonna go with Greece-born power forward, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I mean, it's Giannis. I was between three basketball players. I'm going with Giannis. I mean, for the past year on this show, I've done nothing but praise Giannis. And I haven't always been a Giannis fan. Hand up. I, I didn't really see the appeal of Giannis for a long time. I was like, yeah, he's good. But, I mean, he's not LeBron. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not all these other guys. And then I think you sit down, and especially last year's playoffs, you see what he did with that Bucks team. And it's just amazing. He led that team to a championship. And I, I know that team's good. Drew Holiday's awesome. Chris Middleton's awesome. And honestly, if Chris Middleton would have been healthy, the Bucs might still be playing. But that's a, that's a different conversation. I'm talking about Giannis. The things Giannis is able to do on a basketball court and just the will he has to, to will his team to victory and do all these amazing things, score 40 points, grab a bajillion rebounds. It's just, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. He's like, 
you he's like a creative player. It's something else, and he's still just so, so young. And, like, we – my friends, our group chat, we've been trying to rank uh, Steph Curry all time. And I'm like, this is kind of irrelevant because we got Giannis coming up, and he's going to pass him. And, like, it's it's just something else, the things Giannis is able to do. He's got one championship – one NBA championship at the moment, several MVPs. I The guy's incredible, and I just – like I always say, I can't wait to see what he does next. So, yeah, Novak Djokovic and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'll give it to you for your last two picks. Yeah, I love both of those picks, and Giannis was definitely on my list. I, I think he tops uh, among foreign-born NBA players just in terms of talent and what he's already been able to accomplish. I think he tops that. Novak, obviously a great tennis player. He wasn't the tennis player on my list, however. You did mention him, and I'm going to have to take him up with my pick. I, I got to go with Roger Federer. Uh, the dude was the GOAT in terms of tennis in my lifetime Watching when I watched tennis players grow up, uh, and he has all of the stats to back it up. He's got a 1,251 and 275 record as a pro tennis player. He's won 82% of his matches. That is ridiculous amount of games to win, especially when you've played uh, nearly 1,500 games, over 1,500 games. Uh, 103 career titles uh, was the longest longest rated number one player of all time. Uh, He's only number 46 right now, but I mean, he's still kicking it at what age is he? old he's just old he he's an old man now uh but he when i think of tennis roger federer comes up uh obviously uh when you talk he's got one two three four five six australian opens he won the french open he won the wimbledon eight times and then he won the u.s open five times i mean the dude just did everything he's got a gold medal to his name he's got everything and more and when you think of tennis i think you think of roger federer so again in my mind if you can get one of the goats of the sport uh you gotta take them and i think roger federer uh, fits that list uh and if i can't get Giannis, i gotta go with the most accomplished foreign-born NBA player of all time, and that's Dirk. Dirk Nowitzki is the greatest uh, retired NBA player that w- that came from anywhere else. He came from Germany, obviously, but uh, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Luka is following in his footsteps, and if Luka had accomplished more at this point, I would like to take Luka, uh, but Dirk just accomplished so much in his career. I mean, he was a champion. He was a finals MVP. He won an MVP in his time. 14-time All-Star, four-time first-team NBA, uh, 12-times uh, 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 All-NBA of any kind. Uh, that's a ridiculous amount of times to be named to the All-NBA teams. Uh, and then he's got all of those, still those FIBA records and stuff, all of the things he did before he came to the NBA. He was the Bundesliga MVP, top scorer MVP. He won he was the top scorer in Eurobasket three years. He was the Euroscar player of the year six times. Uh, and there was this one, I can't remember uh, what documentary it was, but they talked about the, I think it was the dream team, or maybe it was the Olympic team right after the dream team. Uh, they were going on one of those world tours with Nike, just kind of, you know, spreading the game of basketball. And Dirk was one of the players that ended up playing that team. And he guarded by Scotty Pippen, was the best player on the court. They said by far Dirk was killing everyone. And they were like, that kid is going to be something special when he gets there. So uh, I think he is one of those guys that like his game fits in any era of the NBA. If you're going to take any power forward, uh, Dirk is going to fit that, that whatever you need him to do at power forward. So uh, I think he is probably, 
an NBA player uh, we can't that could be on the list. Uh, but that'll wrap up my picks. I'll throw it to you for your last picks. I like both those picks a lot, and I honestly, hand to God, I I put I the last few out of the box drafts, I've just gone off the dome. I was like, I think this is fun. I'm just writing them down off my head. Completely forgot about Dirk. I don't know how I forgot about Dirk, but I did. And I, I think that's an awesome pick because Dirk definitely deserves to be up there. And honestly, probably should have took Dirk over Giannis. Giannis is someone that I think will be above Dirk in the long run. But right now, Dirk, his accomplishments, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, the tennis love. I, I like the Roger Federer pick a lot. He's right there with Jokovic. Uh, my last pick, I probably should go with Cristiano Ronaldo but I'm not going to, or I could go with Pele, not going to. I don't have a bias pick in this, and I have to have a bias pick. That's what I do. I'm going with, from the Dominican Republic, first baseman Albert Pujols. I have to. I absolutely have to. If the, Again, if we had done this a year ago, probably wouldn't pick Pujols because I'd be like, whatever. He plays for the Angels, whatever. But he's back in St. Louis, and he's honestly playing pretty well for the Cardinals. It's really, really cool to see. And when you look at it, Pujols is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. He's a three-time MVP, uh, two-time World Series champion, like 10-time All-Star, won a couple gold gloves, top five in home runs, like top 10 in like everything. I mean, he's done it all. He's having the greatest retirement tour ever right now at the Cardinals. It's really, really cool to see. And, I mean, Albert Pujols is the man. He's like – people talk about all the time, like the guys they had posters of in the room growing up. That was Albert Pujols for me. Like I had a Pujols poster in my room until I think I was like – I guess when he moved to the Angels. So like my freshman year of high school. So I Pujols is the man, and I – I mean, I had to scoop up Pujols. I, I absolutely love Albert Pujols with my whole heart. So, yeah. Albert Pujols rounds out my team of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Novak Djokovic, and Wayne Gretzky. Did you have any alternates? Yeah, I did have to dip into it a bit here because I had Giannis on my list and I had uh, Wayne Gretzky as well. So you, you you touched on it too, Cristiano Ronaldo. If you somehow took Messi, uh, Pele, if both of them were gone, uh, someone could have had a real dynamic duo with Messi and uh, Ronaldo if they wanted to. Uh, Bruce Lee, I had down. Uh, Bruce Lee as a martial artist, that would have been a, a fun pick. Uh, and then my bias pick would have been Miguel Cabrera. I think he is the one of the best hitting, if not the best hitter we've seen in our lifetime uh, in terms of, you know, just the versatility of what he can do at the plate. Um, that would have been my bias pick if I got one in there. But any any alternates that you didn't get to? Of course. I, I had quite a, I had um, three of the guys you picked. And then I had Luca. Uh, I mean, he was the inspiration, but I, I had Giannis just right above him. Had Steve Nash. I always had to have Steve, Steve Nash if I can. Uh, Joel Embiid, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, like I said, Sebastian Janikowski. I didn't, I, I didn't know he was foreign born. I didn't surprise me with a name like that, but yeah, Sebastian Janikowski, um, was on my list. And then Yadi or Molina. Cause I mean, Yadi has to be on there too. Uh, but yeah, Pujols just barely, uh, beat Yadi to make my foursome. So yeah, uh, I was happy with my alters, happy with my team. Yeah. Good draft. I, there was a part of me that wanted to put Tim Tebow on there just because he was born in Guam. And that, like he is the only college football player that I think would make that list and really the only football player. A lot of, a lot of the football players are American born. But if, if I would have had to go anywhere in football, I, I think it would have been Tim Tebow, even though Guam is still a U.S. territory. But uh, Tom Bahali is an American born. Uh, Arizona State had that running back. Um, Tennessee had a linebacker named Jacob Johnson from Germany who now plays fullback for the Patriots. 
that's the three I can think of. Yeah, yeah, not not a ton like really topping out those lists, but Tim Tebow would have been a fun one to go over. But uh, love the drafts. Obviously, we'll get those polls out there. I still think as of right now, we don't have the results of the last poll yet, but we'll uh, that'll be up there pretty soon. Uh, question and answer time coming up now. Uh, I will get right into it. We talked about Lionel Messi, and there was news breaking this week that uh, has been disputed a bit by Lionel Messi's squad, but uh, something that's going to be talked about for the next few weeks, few months, few years uh, is Messi maybe trying to buy a stake in an MLS team and then come play in the MLS. And uh, I think it was just like the tipping point in my mind. I I feel like you hear about soccer all the time nowadays, uh, and especially the MLS. The MLS has been gaining steam and uh, I feel like it is on the precipice of really starting to become a real thing in America. What we thought it was going to be maybe five or 10 years ago. Am I wrong to say that the league, the MLS is about to blow up or what is your opinion on it? No, I don't think so at all. I think soccer is becoming more popular in the United States. Like we've seen that in our lifetime. It's grown so much. I know I personally, like I follow a lot of national media people on Twitter. And that's for the Titans and for the University of Tennessee and just general ongoings in Nashville. But the like in the last year or so, there's been so much traffic and talk about the Nashville Soccer Club and the MLS, and people just eat it up. They love it, and like Tennessee sports fans, like and specifically Nashville, they're just crazy about going and doing things, and it gives them a chance. On a, uh, we're recording on Thursday. Last night, Wednesday night, they're like, oh. We can go to the new uh, soccer stadium and lose our minds for two hours cheering on the National Soccer Club, and they eat it up. Like, it looked like it was a sellout crowd, and it looks like it's always a sellout crowd. I saw a tweet that said uh, he got this guy got an Uber to the stadium, and he wanted j- just to go to the stadium. And, like, for any of the other sports in America, you know, if you take an Uber to the stadium, you're not going to go to the stadium. It's just not going to happen. There's too much traffic around the stadiums. I, with an MLS game, I don't know what it's like. Um, the guy said there was, there was just no way there was too much traffic. The, the Uber had to drop him off 20 minutes away, and he had to walk all the way to the stadium. I'm like, well, that sounds like Nashville because it's impossible to get to Nissan Stadium via Uber. You have to walk through Broadway and then over the bridge. So I was like, yeah, sounds about right. It sounds like it's reached that, that level of being like a big-time sport in Nashville, which is huge. And I think that's going to – it's going to be a big thing. It's I feel like it's like that in all the cities that have an MLS team. They love it. They eat it up. They get loyal, loyal fans. And it's interesting. It's almost like they've done a reverse MLB where the MLB, it was like a national game of America's pastime. And they like – just everybody loved it. And where now it's like you've got your team, you follow your team, and that's kind of how it is. Whereas the MLS, they're starting with getting – local fans to buy into these teams and people that might not live in the cities or are interested in soccer. They notice, Oh, all these people are going that this sounds kind of cool. It sounds fun. And people get more interested in like, Oh, okay. Like me, I've known about the MLS. I mean, basically my whole life, like I, I have it in my notes, but like I really took note in 2007 when David Beckham signed with the LA galaxy, that's when it really like, I was like, this is big. I didn't really care. I, I wasn't like going out of my way to watch MLS. I didn't really care about soccer. I'll be honest. I started caring about soccer in like 2014 with the FIFA World Cup that year. Ever since then, I've gained more interest in the MLS. The 
EPL, the British soccer stuff, the um, the Bundesliga, La Liga in Spain, like all those things. I kind of check in every once in a while. I'm not going to go out of my way to wake up at 6 a.m. to watch a game. I'm not going to do that. That's just not me. But in the last year, seeing the excitement around the Nashville soccer team, I'm like, I like want to know their schedule. I like want to go to a game. And I, I think it's working on me. I, it's definitely worked on people in Nashville. Because like seeing Titan fans like being like, I'm all in on this team. This team's awesome. They're going to be bring a championship to Nashville. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. And I'm like, I'm like starting to get prideful. I'm like, hey, I got to ride or die for this team. Like they're they're bringing a, a spotlight to the state of Tennessee and to the city that my favorite team's from, the Titans. And the Vols are from that state. I'm like, whoa, this is this is something else. I like this. So I think um, I think it's that interest. Like obviously the messy stuff. If that happens, will be huge. Because David Beckham is a huge name, and that, that got a lot of interest, but people didn't really care about soccer back then. It was kind of like whatever. People care about soccer now. And people see Messi, and they're like, oh, he's playing in Miami. People are more open to new things in sports, I think, too. Because a lot of, like, President Obama even said it. Like, he was like, if I had sons, they wouldn't play football. So people are looking for alternatives. Soccer is an alternative people look to all the time. It's like you can see the numbers in youth sports. So you've got Miami, a city that just hosted an F1 race. That was a huge success for them. Did a lot of business. You get a guy like Messi there, they had to play their games at Hard Rock Stadium. And they'd sell it out, unlike the Dolphins or the Hurricanes. Like, I, I imagine that would be a huge deal for them. And it, like Messi as a businessman, you got to imagine that he just wants to do that because there's the market there for it. Miami's the place to be, it seems like, right now in sports. Like, so many things going for him. Hey, Messi, if you're listening, I know you are. Get a translator, Google Translate, buy the Miami Marlins. There's something special about the Marlins right now. Jazz Chisholm is a superstar. Buy the Miami soccer uh, team. I think there's two of them. I'm not positive. I'm going to learn more about the MLS. I'm getting more and more interested by the day. Buy buy your stake in that and then buy the Marlins and fix that team because they have something special with Jazz Chisholm, and they just got a bit – Move the pieces right. That pitching rotation is nice. Somehow I got to baseball and this soccer talk. But Messi, do it. Like, he's got all the money in the world already. He's done everything, like you said. Come to America and make the MLS, like, the third biggest league in the country. They're not going to pass the NFL and the NBA. MLB, maybe. They they could maybe do it. I, I'd like to see it. What do you think? Yeah, I think you need to hit the nail on the head. I've got uh... – there's three big things that I think are pushing soccer is just one, the general interest in soccer Uh, Two, like you said, the, the, the connection between the fans and the teams that are already here. Uh, And three, I think sports betting has made soccer so much more of a a sport that people want to watch. I've been able to travel a bunch in these past few weeks. I've been able to meet some new people and I feel like every group of people I meet, there's a soccer guy. And he's the guy that's waking up at like four in the morning to watch the U.S. or the Premier League and all that stuff to watch that stuff over in Europe. And there's tons of those people in America nowadays that are waiting for a league like this where they don't have to wake up at four in the morning to watch that stuff. Uh, And I think, like you said, get get messy in the MLS. And I think it gives that league the legitimacy that everyone's looking for. like you said, even with the, the USL, the Detroit does not have an MLS team, but we have a United Soccer League team called Detroit City FC. And those games look like they're so much fun. The, the fans of those te- that team 
are so dedicated to that team uh, more than I feel like the Tigers or even the Pistons or the Lions at times, because they just, it's the only thing they have and they make what they want out of it. And it's, it's a lot of, it's, it makes me jealous watching it sometimes because I'm like, wow, I wish we had that kind of passionate fan base for, you know, the American sports that are really popular in America. But uh, I think what sports betting could do for the, for the MLS and for soccer. Uh, if you get a guy like Messi and you get that legitimacy behind the league, uh, it's just going to blow up. I think these teams just have so much passion behind them and you're just going to get those, those casual fans that are going to be able to watch it. The, the dedicated fans that are going to be able to watch it. I think soccer is just budding with so much potential. Now Gallup, there's a Gallup poll that says that soccer has taken over the NHL as the fourth sport in the, in America. Uh, that's I, I think that's all you really need to know in terms of like where this sport is going in terms of like if it can pass hockey already, which, you know, we've talked about hockey. We, we talked about hockey last week. I, we think it's kind of dying in, in terms of, you know, the amount of pull that it has in America. But the fact that soccer could even be elevated to the point where it's on the same plane as baseball and football and basketball just shows how much it's grown since we were younger, because you're right. When David Beckham came along, it was big and we all kind of knew, but it was like, this kind of seems like this will be the new path for the older European players that once they don't, don't really want to retire, but still want to play soccer, they can come and play in the MLS because it's a, it's a smaller, you know, it's a easier place to play and they can still make a decent amount of money. I don't think that's the goal with Messi. And I think that's like what kind of changed my, it, it seems like he's trying to actually make something out of the MLS. And if Messi goes, who else is going to follow? I, I feel like that's just going to create a flood pad of, uh, you know, just a flood of European born players that are going to be like, Hey, if Messi's over there doing it in Miami, why can't I go do it in Dallas? Or why can't I go do it in LA? You know, uh, there's so many great places to play soccer nowadays in the, in America. And you, like you said, there's just like a, a huge dedicated fan base ready to just eat it up. I think uh, if if that happens, if Messi does end up buying a stake in the Miami team, I think you're just going to see a flood of European players coming to the United States to play soccer. And then we're really going to have to have that conversation of like, okay, what is soccer in America? And how do we start getting American born players on these teams? Because it's going to be, uh, you know, just so many talented players coming from uh, across the pond to come play uh, professional soccer. That would be awesome. I, I, I feel like, especially, in this time of year where we're, we're kind of reaching for it's baseball and anything else, you know, we're trying to find something else. If you have another, another season of soccer that's going on, that's, that's really pulling people. That would be a lot of fun. And I think as, as sports writers and sports journalists, we should be all for that stuff. So uh, I think it's, on the precipice of really blowing off the roof. And I think it's really in the hands of whichever European born player does that. I think Messi is the obvious one uh, that makes sense. There's obviously the rumors, but uh, Cristiano Ronaldo could do it. Uh, There's tons of when Ibrahimovic came over, he was the talk of the town for a long time. So uh, it's, it's been successful in the past. And I think it's only going to be more successful as the more higher up players uh, end up joining the league. Something I'd be interested in seeing is a guy like Christian Pulisic, who's already been named like he's the guy for our national team for the for the years to come, for the next several FIFA World Cups. If he would leave Chelsea and come to the MLS in his prime, 
that would send a message to American sports fans. They're like, okay, this guy is in his prime. The one of the best teams in the world, Chelsea. He that he was playing for them. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna go play for Nashville SC. The MLS is legit. I think that would send a message like, okay, the MLS is here. It's one of the top leagues in the world. Because I I feel like right now a lot of people, if they're a casual uh, soccer fan or they they don't know anything at all, they're like, oh, it's the MLS. It's it's kind of like a minor league, and I don't think it's that way at all. I think the players treat it like a, a big time deal. The fans definitely do. I, I think that a big credit goes to those fans. So they treat it like it's the most important thing to them, and I think that goes a long way for people uh, getting a first impression. Like I like I have the last year or so with the Nashville team. It, it's really, really neat to see. You know, I got to talk to uh, the new Dakota Wesleyan women's soccer coach uh, a couple of days ago, uh, and he is from Germany. He used to play on the youth Bundesliga team there. Uh, and he, according to him, and, and his stats backed it up, he had a real chance of going pro for the Bundesliga team. But he had to make a decision, which was, do I go pro and play in Europe? and risk injuring myself and not having a degree or do I come to America where I can play soccer for a university and then if I'm still good enough then I can go pro after the fact I think you're going to see a lot more European players sort of do that route where they come over here they come play college soccer because they can get their degree they can also play soccer at the same time and then you have basically the college football route the you know a minor league system for the MLS just producing these you know actually really good soccer players that really want to come and not risk, you know, going pro over in Europe because it's not the same. Like they don't have that same interconnected where you can play sports at, at, at college. So uh, it, it gives a, a real interesting path for some of these European born players to come over here and play soccer. And then uh, you know, if the MLS is really budding and really doing something by that time, I think, you know, there's, there's an opportunity. You don't even have to go back to where you need to go in Europe. You can just stay here and play uh, at a high level here. Uh, So I think it's really fun to see just how much soccer has grown and what what it has been. And uh, since we were young into what it is now, but. uh, Well, and with, with NIL, it would open up where, Hey, there's a guy over in France who's a stud, 17 years old, about to go college age. And the University of Tennessee wants him at, to play soccer for him. I don't even know if Tennessee has a men's soccer team. But uh, Tennessee wants him. And Nashville SC is like, well, we have an NIL deal for him or whatever their – I'm sure they have a main sponsor. That's how a lot of teams are now. Their main sponsor has an NIL deal for them. They can do that now. And that, that sets up a whole new world in the NIL stuff and all that, which – Hey, you never know. And I'm sure we're going to get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, lot, lots of exciting possibilities in the world of soccer and college athletics. So much stuff going on. It's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Love that stuff. Uh, we will move on to the NBA now for your question. Yeah. Uh, uh, fittingly enough, we talked a lot about soccer. And if you know, uh, like, European soccer, there's a lot of midseason tournaments. There's always tournaments going around on uh, like in the EPL or Bundesliga, La Liga, the big soccer leagues uh, across the pond. F- uh, fittingly, Shams, I believe it was Shams, it probably Woj too, tweeted out this week, Adam Silver and the NBA are interested in putting on midseason tournaments in the NBA because based on the success of the play-in tournament, which, I mean, I don't know if it's based on the success of the play-in tournament, but I, it's something they want to do. And what I want to know is, how could the NBA get fans to care about a midseason tournament in the NBA? Because American sports fans, they might not be a 
akin to the mid-season tournament formula? So uh, my short answer is they probably can't. Uh, just I, I, I don't want to be you know the you know the bearer of bad news, but I, I do think uh, American sports fans kind of need something behind what you're doing uh, to to make it worthwhile. Uh, so that is really my my pitch is if you want the midseason tournament to work in the same way that uh, soccer, you know, football does it over the pond. Uh, it's got to mean something, whether it be, you know, automatic uh, qualification for the playoffs or a better seating in the playoffs, or maybe it's even just draft, you know, draft stock or draft, you know, position where you win and you get uh, guaranteed in the lotteries or something of that nature. Uh, I don't think, there is any way that like just a, a midseason tournament with no meaning behind it, just a midseason champion would get NBA fans really going maybe in the first year. And maybe just because it's something new, like we said, uh, sports fans are always looking for something new to, to get into and get into that stuff. Uh, but other than that, it really does feel like a, a little bit too forced uh, because the success of the play in tournament is because it opens up that, that opportunity for more player for more teams to get into the playoffs. It, it kind of eliminates a, a little bit of the tanking because if you get to that 10 seed and that nine seed, you're not automatically out of the playoffs and you can actually go on and then compete uh, versus where if you're in a midseason tournament and it's just, you know, you want to be the NBA midseason champions. I sure there's some franchises out there that might hang that banner just because they don't have a lot to their names at this point, but I don't think that there's uh, fan bases that are really going to like take that seriously and brag uh, over like the Lakers fans. Like, Oh, we won the midseason tournament. It's like, okay, well we have 29 actual championships. Uh, I don't think that really gets people going. So the, if they want people to take it seriously, they, it, there has to be something real attached to it. Not just like an extra trophy or whatever that may be. It's gotta be something like, draft position or automatic qualification to the playoffs, something of that nature to get fans into it. Otherwise I, I think it is just a little bit too far uh, where they're pushing it to like, you know, I, I, I respect Adam Silver. I respect the NBA for what they do. Cause they, they try things, they try new things and, and give, uh, you know, give us something new to chew on at all times. So I respect that. I do think if you're just going, we're going to have a midseason tournament. We'll crown a midseason champion. I don't think that's going to get NBA fans going to the same extent that the the play in tournament does. But I'm interested to hear what you guys say. So I I agree with you fully, and I think yeah, there has to be something on the bone, some kind of meat for you for fans to chew on, for players to chew on, because they're not going to care. Coaches won't care. Players won't care. They're just going to go whatever. I think the best way to go about it would be like calling it the Michael Jordan cup or the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar cup, the Kobe cup, like whatever you want to do, do it to honor a former player that had a lasting impact on the game. I I think that goes a long way with it. And then it has to be more than them hosting up a trophy of Kareem putting a ball up or a trophy of Kobe or a trophy of Michael Jordan. There has to be something that they just want. Like, Go like boxing, they, they compete all year long where there's not a playoffs, but they when they win these big matches, they get a tro uh, not a trophy, a championship, they get a belt. Uh, going to like pro wrestling, you you win like the Royal Rumble, you get the main event of WrestleMania. I remember that from childhood. There has to be something to this, like whether it's okay, the the Grizzlies just won this midseason tournament, they won the Kobe Cup they get an automatic spot in the Western Conference playoffs. 
and that you might even say they locked up a top four seed. They can't fall below the four seed. And I mean, that makes it where you have home court advantage in the first round. And that might be something teams are like, okay, um, the first three months of the season, we didn't have LeBron James, or I'll keep with the Grizzlies hypothetical. We didn't have Ja. Ja was out with an injury, but he came back in January. And from out of nowhere, we won this tournament. And our record's not going to show it, but we're going to be the four seed. It would make things wonky, but, I mean, they won that tournament. So they get, they get the right to have uh, home court advantage in the first round. Or I guess you could even do the two seed. Because I don't think it would be right if you have a team that has 60 wins and they're not, they don't, they're not the one seed. That just doesn't feel right. Like the, you shouldn't get the one seed for winning a tournament uh, in the middle of the season. There's still a lot of work to be done. But you can make them the two seed. Why not? I mean, if if you're good enough, you're going to win. So that three seed can get it done. Um, and it would, it would provide extra motivation for that three seed because like, oh, the Grizzlies just won that tournament. We did it all year long. We were the real number two seed. They just they got it because they they won the Jordan Cup, and it would create interesting storylines, which I feel like the NBA has become all about. Um, I just like you said, there has to be something that they're they're looking to accomplish. There has to be a light at the end of the tunnel, besides getting a trophy. Because the Lakers aren't going to care about winning some random midseason tournament. Neither will their fans. They have seventeen championships. Same with the Celtics. There's got to be something with it. Whether you want to do the good teams and they get a spot in the playoffs uh, secured, or if you want to do the bad teams and their lottery odds are fixed. I think that would be fun too, where it's like if you win, you get more balls put in the lottery. That would I think that would be very interesting. And it would kind of be like, hey, quit tanking. like Stop doing it. Play basketball. Put on an entertaining show for everyone every night. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm all for it because – as a, a basketball fan, as a sports fan, and a basketball sp- fan specifically, I want more basketball. And high-level basketball is the best. And I think you do it like March Madness style where it's win or lose. Lose, you go home when you advance. And I, I think that's the best way to do it. I think that's what they see with like March Madness. Like, okay, we can do this in the NBA, and it can be electric. I'm all for it. Yeah, I think that we're in, we're in agreement. There has to be some sort of meat on the bones, something there for you to actually win. It's also got to be substantial enough that they care about it because we saw what the MLB did with the all-star game for years and years and years. Uh, the home field advantage was decided in the all-star game and that fell apart pretty quickly because once players really didn't care about that, then they, you know, it, it took away the incentive of going to the all-star game. So it's gotta be, you know, something that, teams really want to compete again compete in and actually want to play more games during the season because you're risking injury you're risking you know the health of your team in the in the grand scheme of what you're trying to do so it has to be something substantial enough uh, I'm not sure what that's going to be but you know I'm sure Adam Silver and them have been debating it and they, they've got something in the work this could go along with um, shortening the season too this could be like a we, we make it a 50 game season and after 25 games, we have the all-star break plus the midseason tournament. So you get a sust- substantial break from the regular season. And it would help guys get healthy and get ready for a second-half run. No one wants to play 80 games. The tournament can be like four games in total for the champion. And that that's not that much more. I mean, guys now are used to playing. If they win the championship, it's like 100 games or something. That's a lot of basketball wouldn't come close to that you can shorten the season makes more games more meaningful every night and it feels like it would just make so much sense but 
they're not going to do that because playing 80 games, it makes them so much money. But I, I, I think they're going in steps in the right direction if they get something on the bone, like we said. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll have to keep up on that, looking for Woj bombs or Shams bombs whenever they come out uh, on that type of stuff because obviously the NBA always dominating the headlines. Other than when college football dominates the headlines, like Dylan said, it's May, but it's it's college football season. But first off, uh, big changes in the NCAA bylaws that, that no longer uh, – divisions are no longer needed in order to host a conference championship. And very quickly, the Pac-12 followed suit, uh, basically abolishing their divisions and saying the top two teams uh, record-wise are going to go on to the conference championship, uh, something that a lot of conferences have been calling for for a long time. Then, yesterday – Nick Saban decided to you know, dominate the headlines, calling out Texas A&M and former assistant Jimbo Fisher for basically paying players via the NIL deal stuff and creating a whirlwind of reactions to that. Uh, Dylan, I'll throw it to you with all of that. What were your reactions to the college football news this week? So I'm going to start with the Pac-12 stuff. And, and first it confused me. Because Texas are not Texas. Wow, that's bad. The Big Twelve. <laughs> it's Texas. Uh, the Big Twelve already does this. Their their best two teams play in the conference championship. So I was like, I like didn't really realize it was a rule. I just kind of thought this was something like the conferences just did. They're like, oh, we're gonna have divisions, and the division champions meet each other in the championship. Um, I'm so down for it because the last like not like last like five years, but before that. In the 2010s, the SEC East was whack. Like, it was really bad. And I was just thinking of, like, the possible SEC championships we could have seen. We could have seen so many Bama-Auburn SEC championships, Bama-LSU, Bama-A&M. And then you got on the other hand, Georgia and Florida could meet in the SEC championship. Like, for the SEC specifically, I'm all for it. Put the best two teams in Atlanta. Eliminate any shot that two teams can make it from the SEC to the playoff, and let's go crazy. I think it would be the best possible solution. And then after I looked at that, I was like, okay, I want to look at the other conferences. In the Big Ten, you can get a Michigan-Michigan State Big Ten championship. That's exciting. That's really exciting. And then on flip the, flip the, uh, the hand, Ohio State-Penn State in the Big Ten championship would be really neat. We would have seen a couple of them in the last decade, I imagine. Um, the Big Ten, like I, or Big 12, there's so many conferences. The Big 12 has been doing this. And then you look at the Pac-12. You have USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, Oregon. And they've only been playing a conference championship since 2011. So all these possibilities are so exciting. The ACC, they all suck now. So I, I don't even want to get in them. It's Clemson and whoever. And Pitt, or whoever, it's going to be Pitt and Clemson. They say Miami's going to be good. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I'm all for it. For a fan of a team that's not very good and hasn't been good for a long time, Go for it. Like, I don't care. Like, Tennessee's not going to win the East. Like, Tennessee had a chance in 2016 when Georgia and Florida weren't that good. They still lost. So, I really don't care. Just put the two best teams in Atlanta or Indianapolis or wherever they play the Big 12 championship, Austin, Dallas, wherever. They play in Texas. Um, And then ACC's in Carolina because everything runs through ACC basketball. Um, As far as the Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban deal, I have firmly – on Team Jimbo Fisher, which I thought I would have never said, but I am firmly on Team Jimbo Fisher. I Last night, I saw, it was like, I didn't see the video, but I saw the quotes from Nick Saban. And I was like, oh, those aren't real. That's ridiculous. 
this is like a ball sack sports deal. Like, he didn't say that. Like, Nick Saban did not say Texas A&M bought their players. And then I saw the video. I was like, oh, Lordy. Nick Saban said that A&M bought their players. And um, I follow a lot of SEC people on Twitter because, I mean, that's that's my college football world. It's, it all revolves around the SEC. And then with the Murray State-Auburn alliance, I followed a bunch of Auburn people, and they were all about it, obviously, because they hate Alabama. And it's been a whole whirlwind the last less than 24 hours, like 17 hours or whatever. And then this morning, uh, we're recording on Thursday, Jimbo held a press conference at Kyle Field. And my goodness, he put Nick Saban in a body bag. And there's countless quotes. I wrote one down because I was like, in the SEC, especially the Alabama fans, this had to like burn a hole in their heart. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his deal. Jimbo Fisher, he's talking about Nick Saban. And I just know some of those Alabama fans are like, that blasphemous Jimbo Fisher, how dare he call Nick Saban God? And I just guarantee it's, it is turmoil in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And everyone else in the college football world is watching this with their popcorn. I have never had so much fun with college football drama because it's just – like I tweeted it this morning. Jimbo Fisher's just saying things that people have thought for years. And like he got so frustrated because like for for what we can tell, Jimbo played by the rules. Yeah, th- these players are going to get money. They they are. It's part of the new world of college football. And AM, they have a huge alumni uh system that A&M's a crazy school. That's something we should get into sometime because they have a crazy alumni network. They, it's like a cult. They just love that place. I have cousins that went to A&M. They love it so much. Um, and, they, I mean, they sold their school. They're like, hey, come to College Station, play for A&M, make a bunch of money. And those guys are like, hey, sounds good. We can go to College Station, make a lot of money, or we can go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, make a lot of money. I'm going to go to College Station. They don't really care. And explaining that to, like, old-school college football fans, they just don't get it. They're like, no, they come and play for the A. They're playing for Alabama. They, they want to be part of the Tide. No, they don't. They want to go to the league. That kid's from Miami. He does not care about the Crimson Tide. He doesn't. He probably doesn't care about the Aggies, and he's going to play for Texas A&M. It's just how it is. They're going to play for the best system. They can get to the NFL, and now they're putting themselves in the best situation to make money and make money as an 18-year-old kid, as a freshman in college, and make it for a couple of years, and then go to the league. And you can't blame them. Cannot blame them at all. And I know I'm probably very, like, firmly on this side because the team I support is very much doing what Texas A&M is doing and shoveling out a lot of money to kids that are 17 years old. But, hey, I I think it's going to bring parity back to college football. It's, gonna, it's not going to be the parity people like because it's going to be the really big schools that are really good. But, I, I mean – it's better than Alabama going out every year and grabbing 25 and four-star recruits and just dominating. And it's like a shock when somebody beats them. Give me Tennessee and Miami and Michigan and Ohio State and all these schools forking out all these rich alumni's money to get these good players. Let's go crazy. I think that boils Nick Saban's blood. But, I mean, we said it last summer. Nick Saban and Davo Sweeney can get over themselves. College football's changing. I think it's changing for the better. The the players are getting more power as they should. I mean, they're adults. I know that I know we like say they're kids because they're coming out of high school and when they're being recruited, they're kids. These guys are 18 years old, 18 to 22. Let them make money. Let them have the decisions. And 
let's go crazy. Let's have some fun. College football is the absolute best. And like I like I say, I love this drama. But like Nick say, I, I just love that Jimbo's putting him in a body bag. Like it's the absolute best. There really is no drama. It's like a first round knockout. Jimbo Fisher like has done so much for his like brand. Like if if this season goes terribly wrong at A and M, like he has to, he gets fired. I don't think he'll ever struggle to get a job again, or as he shouldn't. Like he's an awesome coach, but like I feel like everyone loves Jimbo Fisher now, especially the other twelve SEC schools or fourteen, whatever. How many SEC schools there are? There's a million now. Um, everybody loves him, and I I think especially in Auburn, Alabama, in College Station, Texas, and. I'm going to throw Knoxville in there because I saw a lot of Tennessee people really happy. But, yeah, I, I think people just love Jimbo now, and they're like, they called Saban out on his BS. And I want to throw this into because there's been a lot of SEC drama with Jimbo and Saban, Saban calling him out, and Jimbo going right back at him. Nick Saban called out Deion Sanders and Jackson State as well. That, I mean, that just pisses me off. That's ridiculous. In the last couple of years, we've seen the rise of HBCUs getting bigger – uh, profile uh, recruits and obviously Deion Sanders. I mean, he's one of the coolest athletes of all time. He's obviously a good coach, went to Jackson State, and he's brought a lot of good players in there. He got Travis Hunter to come to Jackson State, and there's rumors of the NIL deal that, ja- that uh, Travis Hunter got. Who cares? That That's part of it now. And he's, he's like, Well, Jackson State has an unfair advantage. Man, shut up. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Jackson State does not have an unfair advantage over the University of Alabama. Give me a break. I just, I like, I feel like I'm an old man yelling at the clouds, but that's Nick Saban. He's the old man yelling at the clouds. Get with the time, man. Yeah, he didn't have any problem when Affleck was given, you know, Dion and Nick Saban money to be in the same exact commercial. So uh, obviously he hasn't had problems with money in college football. First, with the division things, I think this is just a long time coming, especially coming from someone in the Big Ten, where the Big Ten East has Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. I mean, all four of those programs would be the top of the Big Ten West for years and years and years. And Michigan's been screwed out of it for years and years and years. I mean, we've talked we talked about it and obviously being Ohio State and finally winning that first Big Ten East championship was something special for Michigan this year. But We've had plenty of teams that would have been in the Big Ten Championship had we just been on the other side of the divisions because there were a lot of Wisconsin teams and Minnesota teams and a Northwestern team that made it to the Big Ten Championship that didn't deserve to be there. Uh, and so I think this is just a step in the right direction for everyone. I think don't we don't need this stupid rule where you have to have divisions to play a conference championship game. It, it's just obvious decision and I think a right decision for, for college football fans, I think, obviously. I felt like this comment by Saban was a canary in the coal mine for Alabama. I feel like this is the beginning of the end for Alabama because one, we all know Bama plays that pays their players. This is the identical to like when coach K said NIL is going to be the death of college athletics. It's like, you've so obviously been paying your players. So for you to like bump and like try to like, get on the people that are doing it the legal way now going through NIL and actually doing it the right way. Uh, that just, that's going to take a lot of people off because we've been seeing what you've been doing for years and years and years. So uh, let's not, when you've been doing it illegally for so long and getting away with it, you can't then go crap on the people doing it the legal way. But I think, I think what Saban sees, and I think it's something that is, 
uh, you know, obviously playing out with, you know, Texas A&M beating out Alabama this year in the, in the recruiting process, the NIL stuff is going to put places like Alabama on the back burner. These traditional college football powers that don't have the traditional, you know, pull of a bigger university places like Alabama, unfortunately places like Auburn are going to be in the same split, but like, when you're competing with Texas, Texas A&M, Michigan, Tennessee, Ohio State, these places that have big-time alumni with a lot of money and are willing to spend it on their pro- on their programs, Bama just doesn't have that. Like I, they've had the the people that are willing to do it in the back room and being able to do it with you know bagmen in that in that regard. But they don't have the people that are going to be able to shell out the millions of dollars that it's going to take to get some of these team, these players to come to their teams. And I think that's what Saban sees. I think he's saying, look, we don't have that infrastructure and it's going to you know, hurt us. And it's like, you know what? Fine. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of seeing you guys do it to us. So why is it so bad that the people that have the money want to pay these guys to come play for their schools? when it's legal now i mean it's just it's just part of the game now and you've got in a true great coach a true great leader of players would adapt and would be able to find their way uh in this new version of college football that it is not just on the field where we've given Saban so much credit for you know going to the spread offense and changing the system of football and, and making that Alabama team good uh from what it was offensively from what it was a few years ago but you've got to do that as a full in a full time sense. You're a CEO, not just a coach. You have to be able to run your program from top to bottom. And uh, I think this is just an admission from Saban. He's like, I can't do that. I can't do that in the same way that these other places can. And good for Jimbo for fighting back and and actually saying like, hey, what what do you think you've been doing for years and years and years? Uh, I I. I I have no problem with what Texas and A&M has been able to do. I think the more the merrier. I, I am pushing for Michigan to somehow set up something in the same way that they have because we're going to be left in the past if we don't adapt the way that these other schools are. And if I, I, I love to see people like Saban like yelling at a cloud like that because that's just time they're wasting watching other te- after programs blow by them because, like you said – the AMs, the Miamis, the Ohio States of the world, they're not going to wait. They're, they're just going to start doing it. And if you're going to you know, complain about it, they're just going to pass you. And I would love to see Nick Saban and Alabama knocked off their horse. So I, I'm right there with you. I'm totally team Jimbo and totally team NIL. Uh, I, there's not much more to say than other than Saban can go kick rocks. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy. Some I forgot. Last summer, when the NIL stuff became official, he bragged at SEC Media Days that Bryce Young had a seven-figure NIL deal. And then now, flash forward uh, almost a year later, and he's like, well, those A&M guys, they're going to make money, and they they bought their players out there. Dog, Bryce Young is from California. He is at Alabama to make money and play with really good football players. If Bryce Young was playing at USC – Dog, Bryce Young would be making crazy money. Like, I don't know how much money Caleb Williams is making at USC, but I can only imagine it's a lot. And I think I think the thing Saban doesn't realize is these quarterbacks that he's gone and got from California, um, 
Tua was from Hawaii, which is, I mean, it feels like that's a direct pipeline to California. I think they're probably going to start staying at home at USC because California, like when USC's popping, that's the biggest show in town. And it's right there with the Lakers. And Reggie Bush can tell you all about it, I'm sure. And when when those L.A. boosters see Caleb Williams on that field next fall against Pac-12 defenses, they're going to get be giving him all the money in the world. And Bryce Young's going to see that and be like, wow, like, I only got a mil. And I'm in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He could be in L.A. I mean, Caleb Williams, like, by the end of this year, he's got, like, an apartment in Beverly Hills. Might have a house. Like, I, I feel like the game's changed so much, and Nick Saban doesn't realize it. And he's got guys that probably wish they were closer to home, and they're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like, I, I feel like this is going to be a real humbling experience real soon for guys like Nick Saban that aren't, like, bending down, like, take take the money, please. Like, you want to be in Tuscaloosa. You don't want to be in L.A. You don't want to be in Miami. You don't want to be in all these great places where you can probably make a lot more money. Like, I feel like that's something Tennessee's doing a good job of. Like, oh, hey, Nico Amalavea. You're, you're the number three player in the country. We're going to be $8 million because we have Jimmy Haslam as one of our biggest uh, boosters, and he can do it because he owns an NFL team. Like, those are the things that, like, they're going to play a huge factor, and that, that's just how it is. And I think it's fun. I'm saying it's fun because my, my favorite team, my favorite school, has a huge advantage in having a mega rich NFL owning, owning family that are all alumni. But, hey, it, Nick Saban can get Crocs, like you said. And, and there's – tons of programs like that, that that it creates parody more than it does that then it creates you know people that are you know at the top just doing it over and over again where you've had alabama just doing it over and over again because they're the ones that get away with it the clemsons of the world you know michigan state has a huge donor in matt ashiba who had donated a ton of money to the to the school and, and that was one of the things i tried to tell because a lot of my dad's friends uh were kind of him hawing about NIL about the, a lot last year. And I was like, well, think about a person going to Michigan state where it's like, I could go play like third or fourth string at Alabama and just sit on the bench and go make some money. Or I could make a similar paycheck and go start at Michigan state. And if that's an option, it's going to create more parity and more places for people to play like that. So I actually think it creates more prosperous programs in the wake of it. And it just feels like Nick Saban's like, that kid who had cheat codes for the longest time. And now everyone's got the cheat codes and it's like, Oh no, you can't use them. That's cheating. It's like, well, what have you been doing, Nick? Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it makes me happy to see people like Nick Saban, like getting frustrated and flustered by this stuff. That's how, you know, it's working basically when you've got guys like Nick Saban up in arms about this stuff. Uh, so I think only good stuff coming from college football and we'll obviously be monitoring it all off season and coming up into the, the preseason stuff. But finally, we're going to move on to our picks for the NBA conference finals this week. Uh, obviously one game a piece have already gone down. So uh, a little bit of an advantage for one team or the other, but uh, we will get our picks in. We'll start in the East Celtics versus heat. Dylan, who do you got? I think the Celtics going to bounce back. Why not? I've been riding with the Celtics. I think every picks, like segment we've done throughout these playoffs where we've picked a Celtics game. I've picked the Celtics. I just, I really like this Celtics team. I, I think they're gritty. I think they're a team that like, even when they drop a game, they bounce back really, really well. And we're sitting here where, I mean, it's, I think this game starts late tonight. It's like a seven forty-five tip. tip. Um, we're four hours before a little bit more. 
and Al Horford's questionable right now, and that's going to be a huge thing to watch. And obviously, if you're listening, you know if he plays or doesn't. He was cleared. He was cleared. There we go. So, I mean, that's huge. Al Horford has been so good these playoffs. And, that, I mean, that, that really is. It's a game changer. He plays such good defense. Um, Tatum and Brown obviously have to have big games. But, I mean, the Celtics bench, that goes a long way, too. We saw what they did in game seven, just dominating. Peyton Pritchard played really well. Grant Williams played really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if those guys can step up along with Tatum and Brown playing big games. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Celtics. The Heat were really impressive in game one. I don't think we're going to get another performance like we did from Jimmy Butler that he had in game one. But you never know. Jimmy, Jimmy's kind of been on fire all playoffs. Um, but I'm going to go with the Celtics to take, take game two in Miami and even up the series at 1-1. I would like Miami. I like in Miami in this one. I, I think uh, I've leaned towards the Celtics like you have uh, just in terms of their talent. I think Jason Tatum is probably the most talented player on that floor, but I'm really sold on Eric Spolster now. Uh, back in the day, back when LeBron and the, the, the Heat were the Heat, I used to give Eric Spolster a lot of crap. I used to think, oh, well, he's just the coach of the best team in the, in the NBA. But since LeBron has left, Eric Spolster has only done great things in Miami. He's only impressed me more and more. And I think that game one, what they were able to do at halftime completely flipped the script because the Celtics were dominating that game and really looking like the better team. And then all of a sudden the heat came out and we're looking amazing again. And I think that's all, all the credit in the world goes to Eric Spolster and what that coaching staff has been able to do. And I think that's just going to be the difference in this series is that you know these are two very similar teams in terms of they're very deep they've got you know good shooters and everything they've got us their star players are similar in jimmy butler and jason tatum i think spolstra is just that difference maker that that pushes the heat past the celtics uh not only tonight but in the series so uh, i like the heat in the east will move out west golden state versus dallas uh dylan who you like there i'm gonna go with golden state i think golden state is they're probably always the best team in the West, but I, I think they're just playing so well, well right now. They look like the Warriors of old. And um, I saw I, – I got a text this week. I think, it was, I think it was in my friend's group text, and they were like, I think the Mavericks, they match up better against the Warriors. I was like, I don't think so. I was like, I, I really thought the athleticism of the Grizzlies would hurt them. And it did a little bit, but the Warriors, they really didn't care. I, I think – the, the Warriors had a hard time containing Ja. I think they're going to be like, all right, Luka, do whatever. And they're just going to do it like what they did in game one, where they, they do their third quarter avalanche and they run away with it. it. It really feels like the Warriors of old, and that's scary. And I, I hope it's not, but that's what it feels like. The Warriors just – they've been on a really good roll all playoffs. And I feel like they've almost been overlooked, and they've been in the headlines like every day. It's really weird. It feels like no one's like treating them seriously – but they very well might be cutting down the nets in a couple weeks as NBA champions. Yeah, I'm going with the Warriors to take a 2-0 lead going – or no, yeah, 2-0 lead. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Dallas in this one, and I just – purely on the fact that I don't feel like I can pick against Luka Doncic again after what I saw against him and the Suns. I, I know a Golden State kind of roughed him up in the first game, especially in that third quarter, but it – I just know that if Luca catches fire the way that he did, that that Dallas team can look so good. And what they did defensively against the Suns uh, in that in that game seven is just amazing. And if they can even have half of that uh, performance, uh, they can they could easily beat Golden State. Uh, obviously, Steph Curry is a different monster than Chris Paul and and Devin Booker, but. Th- 
there is something to be said about the way that they play defense and the way that they have their role players step up. If you get Jalen Brunson going, or if you get, you know, those guys going, they, they really help out Luca and really make that team dangerous. So I think, uh, I I've loved Luca. I, I think he, this is going to be his playoffs. When we, when we look back on it, we're going to be like, this was the, the postseason that Luca asserted himself as like a top five guy in the NBA. Uh, and I think it starts uh, in game two against golden state. He gets a big win. So uh, awesome stuff. there. going against each other in these picks this week, but always love that stuff uh, for, uh, for the social media stuff and as always, but that's going to do it from us for the Dylan and Dylan show this week. Dylan, any final thoughts before we take off? Yeah. Um, great show. Uh, sorry news bad news i don't know however you want to phrase it we will not be in your ears next week however you listen to us via headphones through your car radio if anyone still has a radio in the room i don't know i home i have an i home uh through your playstation whatever it might be you won't be hearing us next week you can listen to this show next week but yeah we won't be on the airs next week dylan will be on the road i will be on the road to new orleans um yeah, we we're gonna we're gonna take a week off Memorial Day. We're we're gonna rest. It, it'll be all right. We'll be back the next week with something special though. But yeah, that's all I got. I reckon. Yeah, enjoy your Memorial Day. We will be off next week, but the week after that, we got a big show planned. Uh, we'll be teasing it a little bit on social media throughout the week. But that's gonna do it from us on the Dylan and Dylan Show this week. You can find the Dylan and Dylan Show at. Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on it's at. Tunnel Vision Sports underscore on Instagram, on TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports, and on the web at tvsportsmag.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend, a Memorial Day weekend next week, and we will see you in a couple weeks. Have a good one.